Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Did you know that we're officially back in a buyer's market? That's right. Even though interest rates continue to rise, they are causing prices to fall. So there's finally room for you to do regular real estate investor things that we couldn't do for so long, like gasp, negotiate, make lower offers, ask for sellers to cover some of your closing costs. So it's a really great time to buy in terms of being able to get a lower purchase price and being able to negotiate. So if you're looking for your first or next short-term rental, it's a perfect time to reach out to us at the short-term shop. Let our team of agents in any of our true vacation market destinations help you find the perfect investment. Jump on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected to get started. We are brokered by eXp Realty. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Short-Term Show. Today, we have a fellow podcast host and investor, Tim Hubbard. He is the host of The Short-Term Rental Riches podcast, also a really great podcast on short-term rentals to check out. Uh, really excited to have him on today, and I will let him introduce himself. How's it going, Tim? It's going great, Avery. Excited to be here. Awesome. Excited Thanks to so be much. here. <laughs> I think you may yeah. own more properties than anybody else who's ever come on the show, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Congratulations. <Okay. laughs> it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm from uh, California originally. That's where I grew up in Sacramento. And uh, that's where I started investing as well. Um, I sort of, I didn't get right into real estate. I sort of discovered what I, the sort of life I wanted to live, I guess. I went to Spain when I was really young. So 16, I, I did a little exchange program and I just realized everything was so different. It was an amazing experience. When I left home, my parents weren't getting along that well. And I, uh, I just realized it's a big world. So I wanted to be able to travel and I didn't discover real estate until a little bit after that, but I was always kind of looking for that that way out, you know, the way to leave the, la the rat race. And so I studied international business. And I did these things to try to, to have that ability to travel, but that didn't come until real estate. So fortunately, I found that little purple book, like a lot of us did, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I got into real estate slowly. My first deal was a, a fourplex. So I did the house, house hacking thing. You know, I lived in one of the units and it was a foreclosure. I rented out the other three and just sort of started building from there. So that's kind of the background. Okay. So how many, tell everyone how many short-term rentals you own. Yeah. So I have about 70 properties, about 40 of them are short-term rentals that I've converted or, um, you know, bought specifically as short-term rentals. And I'm also doing, I'm down here in Columbia. So I, I moved out of the U.S. I guess I should say quite a while ago, about seven years ago. So I'm down here in Columbia. We're also a friend of mine. Uh, we're building about 15 short-term rentals. So that's really exciting. Never done new development before. So current portfolio, about 70. The others are long-term rental and a little bit of uh, commercial. 
Awesome. I'm a big believer in having some long-term rentals and some other things in your portfolio and not being all of one asset class, whether it's short-term, long-term, et cetera. I think it's really good to have all different types of real estate in your portfolio. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also think uh, diversification across uh, markets is important too. So I started in California, but I, I branched out when the numbers started changing there. So prices were going up and up and I just couldn't find returns there anymore. So I started looking out of state. I uh, went to Tennessee, went to Oklahoma. And actually, it's kind of funny. I, as I was doing research to buy long-term rentals is when I discovered the opportunity with short-term rentals. So that was back in 2015. I was I was staying in a short-term rental in a market looking to buy long-term rentals. And I was running the numbers on the long-term rentals. And I was running the numbers on the property that I was staying in. <laughs> I got curious. I looked up how much it costs. I'm like, oh my gosh, these short-term rentals are making way more money. So that's sort of when I flipped in 2015, I started focusing on short-term rentals. Okay. And what markets do you own short-term rentals in right now? So I'm in California where I started originally, although I've sold most of mine. Uh, Oklahoma City, Memphis, Tennessee, down in Brazil. I also spent a lot of time in Brazil. So I have a property down there now. And then uh, here in Colombia, where I'm at right now. Okay. So that so is a... Yeah. Yeah. And that's also like not <laughs> the typical markets that we hear about. Mm -hmm. So what made you choose? Um, well, we know what made you choose California because you lived there at the time, right? So what made you choose right. Memphis? Yeah, I was looking for affordable markets or where people were moving to um, and where I thought that they were going to continue to move to. I still think that's affordable markets, especially with everyone getting crunched uh, here in the US, really all over the world with inflation. But it's looking for places... Uh, I was looking for long-term rentals. So I was looking for places that had good fundamentals for that. You know, they were affordable. They had diverse employment. Um, they were growing. They were landlord friendly was a really important one, especially coming from California where it's not, uh, I hate to, I always pick up in California, but I'm from there. So I guess I get to, uh, it's not as landlord friendly there. So I was looking for those things that I would look for in a traditional real estate investment. Uh, and it just happened that those markets worked really well for short-term rentals too. But yeah, they're not the, the typical markets that you think of when you think of a short-term rental. Yeah. I, there's, I have a lot of questions about this. So my sister lives in Memphis. I grew up in North Mississippi. So, you know, if you have to go do any shopping at like any malls and things, a lot of times you're having to go to Memphis. That's a market where you, it's very like one street's fine and the next street is not fine. So how do you, when you're buying in a market like that, how do you differentiate buying remotely? Uh, is that relying on a good real estate agent or how are you figuring out like, yes, this street, no, not that street? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And that's definitely how it is. I mean, I remember when I was out there the first time and I was looking up on my maps, driving around, trying to explore the market. I'm like, oh my gosh, this fourplex or something's $80,000. That can't be right. <laughs> and then I cross the street and there's, you know, giant fences and cars parked in the front yard. And I'm like, okay, this makes a little more, a little more sense. So you're totally right. You got to be really careful. And when I originally entered these markets, I was doing the research myself. So I was driving around, I was checking out the markets and I was sort of learning the areas after I got a little more established in those areas. And I had real estate agents that I really trusted and I worked with, then you know, they would find deals and then we could work together on those without me actually being there to see them. But most all my properties, I've I've flown back to to check them out before I acquired them. Gotcha. 
All right. And I think the the burning question on everyone's mind that they typically ask, you know, how do you get to three? How do you get to four? But you have 40. So how are you mm-hmm. financing all of these? Yeah, um, I, I use financing, of course. Um, and when I started, I bought that first fourplex. I was a foreclosure. I lucked out with the timing too. I mean, this was right after, this was 2010, right after the last crash. So prices were much lower uh, and I rode that wave up. Um, and I have the whole time. And so, you know, I did value ads, I renovated properties and did cash out refinances. I think a big one for me is after I was sort of picking up small multifamilies in, in Sacramento to, you know, duplex, fourplex type properties. And when I moved out of state um, to Tennessee, I purchased an eight unit building and it was a really big project renovation. And it, it took a long time, but I converted them all into short term rentals and the, the cash flow just like went through the roof. I, I mean, at that time, it was seriously like up six, seven, eight times of what the long term rents were. So that generated a lot of cash flow, but it also added a lot of value to the property. So, you know, did the, the Burr strategy, right? Uh, buy, renovate, and uh, refinance, and and pull some of that equity out. Been doing that ever since. Awesome. I think that that is worked so well at the time, and now it's kind of difficult, or at that time, and now it's kind of difficult to make Burr or flipping or anything that involves the refinancing work mm-hmm. with the way that interest rates are right now. So what advice would you have for somebody today who's maybe looking at pulling equity out of something to go buy something else? Because, you know, times are are different yeah. than they were. No, they definitely are. Um, and I think it always comes down to the numbers. So if someone can run their numbers and see that, okay, I'm going to take out a new loan at 7% or whatever it happens to be. If I'm still cash flowing with this property at that new mortgage payment, and I'm comfortable with that fa- payment, then maybe consider taking some of that equity out. But if it doesn't make sense, then it, I just wouldn't recommend it. You know, the numbers pretty much always tell us what to do. I would say, you know, now the way things are with financing that there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of money, but they don't have the time to get into real estate investments. So now might be one of those times where partnering makes a little more sense. Maybe we didn't need to do that in the past, but that could be another option to looking to partner with someone that has the money right now. uh, So that, you know, the, we can make the deals work a little bit better. Gotcha. So back to, well, I guess I'm not off of financing yet. I thought I was going to move on, but I have another question. So <laughs> when you're doing these refinancing, refinances, et cetera, so you're, you're way past your 10 uh, conventional loans here. And most, a lot of them, you probably couldn't do conventional because they're multifamily. Um, right. So what types of loan products were you using? Because I know the DSCR using short-term rental income or for short-term rentals is kind of a new thing as of the past two or three years. So mm-hmm. what types of, of lending products were you using up until then? Or have you ever yeah, used good. a DSCR? Yeah, no, I have. And, and good question. I, um, I, I didn't run into that 10 property limit because like you said, most, most of my properties were multifamily and they were commercial loans to, to start out with. Um, so I worked with a lot of uh, local banks you know, a lot of those loans when I started with them were five, seven, nine, 10 year loans. Um, but I bought those properties, those small multifamily properties as a long-term rental investment and then converted them to short-term rentals. 
And so when I went to the bank to get a loan, you know, they were looking at it traditionally and saying, okay, you know, this eight unit apartment building cash flows. Okay. We'll give you the loan. And then I, I converted it afterwards uh, after working with some of those banks for several years and seeing the income come in from the short-term rentals, then they loosened up a little bit uh, and did some of those refinances based off short-term rents. But um, yeah, most of the loans I, I've done were commercial uh, a lot with local banks, a lot of those that I've refinanced later on with nationwide lenders into 30-year loans for some of these small commercial loans instead of having it on the 5-7. So um, those were slightly higher interest rates, but locked in for a long term now. So um, yeah. All right. And what advice would you give somebody who's looking for a local bank? Because you know that's it's talked about a lot when we're talking about not using conventional financing and you need to find a local bank, local bank, local bank, and I've got plenty of loans with local banks. What is your advice for somebody who's like, I think I need a local bank. How do I find one? How do I know where to even look? Because a lot of times, you know, these are not banks that have huge online presences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always suggest working with your agent. So, I mean, I, I used to be a commercial commercial broker too, when I was first getting started. And I, I, I think there's a ton of value working with really good agents, really good brokers. And one of those value add components there is that they have lots of really good connections. You know, they want the deal for you to work wherever you're looking to buy a property. And so that's typically where I've gotten all my referrals for, for lenders. It's just talking with the brokers or the agents that I'm working with. Always good advice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your agent should, if they're a good agent, have recommendations for a lot of the people, whether it's lenders, handy people, cleaners, things like that. They should have those types of recommendations. Sell with the short-term shop. Are you looking to sell your short-term rental or even 1031 into a different property? Our team of realtors will work hard to get you the most for your investment. We are experts in our field would love to earn your business. When it's time to sell, call the shop. TheShortTermShop.com That's TheShortTermShop.com Brokered by EXP. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. So let's move over while we're still talking about markets and financing before we get into the nuts and bolts of manage, managing all these things. Uh, let's talk about real estate investing outside the US. So sounds like you're, I don't know if you already own units in Columbia and you're building 15 more, mm -hmm. but I hear a lot of investors interested in doing this type of thing, but they just have no idea where to start. Yeah, it's it's totally a different ball game. I mean, uh, different languages, different laws, different different everything really. So I think it it always starts with market research, right? We don't want to invest in a market that we don't think has good fundamentals, and so that's where 
that's where I would start, but that takes a long time. I, I've lived down here in Columbia more or less for the last like six or seven years. So I know the market really well. Um, the first property I bought down here was in 2017. Um, I've, I just sold that last year to sort of roll into this development deal that we're, we're doing now. Um, but yeah, it's totally different. I, but I, I really have the same advice. I mean, you work with people that you could trust that, you know, so I always have a lawyer, especially outside of the US, even is way more important, especially if you don't speak the language. Um, financing is different, of course. You, you can't get financing as a foreigner and pretty much the rest of the world unless you earn money in that country and you can show that to a bank. So financing is not a really good option, although you can, if you have equity in the US, you could always pull that cash out and use that overseas. So knowing your market, um, you know, having a trusted attorney, finding a good broker, but it, it, it's totally different, Avery. I mean, there's no like MLS where we can pull up and see, oh gosh, you know, this is a good comp here or this. I mean, it's just like the wild west. Uh, when I first bought my property, I was just walking the streets, calling signs that people had hung out outside of their properties. Um, there are websites and for anyone looking overseas, you'll find this in pretty much, I, I look in every country that I that I go to because I love real estate and I, I love to travel. So I'm always checking these things out. But when you go on the websites, you'll see um, a bunch of properties, but I guarantee a lot of those have already been sold. Maybe they've been sold months ago. Sometimes you see duplicate listings on there. So it requires a lot more diligence, I guess I would say, uh, investing over, overseas. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds... Too hard for me, but maybe the maybe the listeners are have a little more energy than I do at my ripe old age of 35. Um so let's talk about purchase prices compared to the US. Because I, I Columbia seems to be a pretty popular place for US short-term rental investors right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't looked into that too much. So I'm hoping you'll educate us on why that is. But let's start with, I mean, it is beautiful. I've never been, but the the yeah. pictures look great. Um but how, what's the price difference in, you know, a comparable property? So it, it's all across the board. I mean, when I, when I first came down here years ago, it was a lot less as it is <laughs> in a lot of markets in the U S so it's definitely gone up. Uh, and it really has caught on as more of like a tourist destination or a digital nomad hub or whatever you want to call it. I think Part of it is because it's affordable. So the cost of living is much lower, uh, but they still have, you know, basically all the same amenities that you have in the U.S. So uh, amazing malls and grocery stores and Uber Eats and all, all those things. So prices have gone up. Um, the city that I'm in, Medellin, right now is is a pretty dense city. So there's not a lot of places left to build. And so the properties have gone kind of up, up, up. I would say like a starter apartment. Uh, most of these are in condo buildings, condo, uh, you know, high rise condos. I'd say starting apartment, you're probably looking around 150 to 200,000 sort of, um, you know, for, for a decent place in a good area. Uh, again, this is cash. So it's, it's a little more difficult uh, if you don't have the equity to pull out of the U.S., 
Um, and it all depends on the exchange rate too. So that's a whole completely different factor. I mean, uh, when I first bought down here, the exchange rate was 2,800 pesos to, to $1. Now it's around 4,000. So our dollar's gotten a lot stronger, but our dollar was also just 5,000 like several months ago. So it's lost like 20%. So that's a totally different risk too. But it's also another way, I think, to diversify outside of the US dollar. If you have all your, uh, all your money in the US, um, like my property in Brazil, for example, has gone the other way. So when I bought it, um, it was sort of at the peak and the, the Brazilian real has gotten stronger against the dollar. So I've gained like 20% on that investment just from the currency. So um, risky, but I'd say, you know, long story short, prices probably start 150, but you can buy a million dollar apartment down here. Um, you know, it's going to be really nice, but <laughs> prices are across the board. Okay, cool. And so tell us about the one in Brazil. You didn't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, my, my girlfriend's Brazilian. So I, I've been living down there like the last three or so years. Uh, we spent about half the year down there and that's in a, a, a city in Southern Spain, or I'm sorry, Southern Brazil. It's near Florianopolis. It's in the state of Santa Catarina. People have heard of that, um, but it's amazing. You know, it's, it's right next to the beach. Uh, it's also in a condo building. Um, that city's really interesting. It's in a city called Balneario Cambriu, and it, it's it's crazy. It kind of looks like a Miami in Brazil. I mean, they have really tall, high-rise buildings going up, like 80-story towers. Um, same kind of due diligence there. You know, you work with a good lawyer. Uh, it's a different currency. It's a different language. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Brazil really is a, a powerhouse. I mean, they're one of the biggest economies in the world. So that was another reason I kind of wanted to go there. Uh, to diversify a little bit more, but I just love Brazilian culture. I, they're they're really cool people, and uh, lots to see in Brazil. Right? Yeah, you're you're making me sleepy, like with all of this running <laughs> around. I like I have a hard time just getting my day done here in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. all over the world. I know, no kids or anything at the <laughs> moment, so that makes it that makes it a lot easier. Um, but I do travel quite a bit. I actually just got back from California last night. I was visiting family there. So, uh, running awesome. around quite a bit, but, but it's good. Yeah. That sounds really awesome. It's super cool. So let's talk about how you're managing all of these things now. So you got a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. let's first talk about managing at that scale, at that number, what your systems look like before we move into moving across country lines. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I use a lot of software programs, you know, I, I use property management software. I use pricing software. I use, uh, operational software like breezeway and, and lock software. And so, uh, I used to work, uh, as I was building my real estate portfolio, I worked, at, um, for a software company as an independent contractor. So I had a pretty flexible schedule, but I definitely realized the value in using and taking advantage of software. Actually, I worked with a lot of independent mechanic shops. So, you know, where you take your car to get it fixed. And I sold this software that it was business management software. So it basically did everything. It allowed them to manage their customers, marketing, everything. And what I found working with shops for like eight years is that the shops or the businesses that really took advantage of the software, they almost always outperformed the other ones. They were more efficient. Their customers were happy. And so that's sort of like ingrained in my, uh, you know, in everything I do now. So I use a lot of software. Um, but then the other part of that is is having really good people to work with. So really fortunate to have an awesome team of uh, people that we work with now. Um, 
mainly virtual. So we have people in Europe, we have people in uh, Philippines who do all of our guest reception. We have people in Mexico uh, and then housekeeping and maintenance locally. So having a good team, super important. What are you using for your property management software and your pricing tool? We use HostAway uh, and then we use Price Labs, but okay. I've, I've tried other ones too. So I used to use Guesty. I used to use Beyond Pricing. Um, but, you know, none of the, this is the other thing I found working with the software companies that none of them are perfect, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, and there's uh, being in the short-term rental industry. I mean, that's so things are just changing so quickly and there's just a new software program like every single day. And so, yeah, I would say none of them are perfect, but those ones have worked well for us. Uh, Breezeway, I think is really, really good for, for operations, especially managing properties remotely or working with new housekeepers, having the ability to create, create those detailed checklists has been a huge, huge help too. So when you're managing properties in several different countries, so right now you're dealing with, with local boots on the ground vendors speaking English, Portuguese, and Spanish. So mm -hmm. any, are there any other ones that I'm missing? No, that's it. That's it. Okay. And actually the Spanish one. So we're, we're under, we're starting construction right now. So I'm not actually operating any units here in, okay. in Colombia right now. Okay. Well, you, at least you have, you have English and Portuguese. So how are mm -hmm. you communicating with both or I guess maybe do you speak Portuguese? <laughs> I do. So how does some yeah. oh well that's not fair. So how does somebody who <laughs> wants to buy in a, a market like that but doesn't speak fluent uh it isn't fluent in that language, mm -hmm. how are they managing these local boots on the ground like their cleaners and their their handyman uh when they're speaking a completely different language? Yeah, so they, they gotta find someone that uh they can work with that does speak the language. So when I bought my property in Brazil, for example, I worked with a uh, a lawyer. I I don't understand legal contracts in English, so I definitely don't understand them in, in Portuguese or, or Spanish. So I worked with a really good lawyer there that spoke both languages. Um, so finding someone there on the ground that speaks those. I know here in Medellin where where a lot of people have been coming in buying properties. There's companies that have you know, been established to help cater to foreigners. You got to be really careful with that because there's usually always some sort of premium. But if you do your market research, you can just at least know, you know if you're getting a, a good deal. And then if they're able to help you with all those other services, they speak English, they have English speaking lawyers. Um, so that's usually if someone doesn't speak the language, that's kind of how you're going to get in. Just work with a company that's been established to work with foreigners. Gotcha. So you're hiring an attorney local to that country, not a U.S. attorney, a local one that speaks both languages. Yeah. Yeah. Because the laws are laws are totally different. Are there any red flags or things to look for when you're looking for an attorney in another country in terms of, OK, this looks like it, it's probably going to be OK. Or, you know, you mentioned you have to kind of be careful. What are we looking for to stay away from? Um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if you can go off referrals, that's always, that's always the best way to go. You know, no matter what it is, if you're looking for a contractor in the U S I think referrals are better. So if you're looking in, uh, for a, an attorney outside of the U S if you can go off referrals, then that would be best. If you don't know anyone yet, then meeting and, and you're meeting an attorney or something for the first time, then I would ask for referrals. 
and see if you can talk with someone. Cause you, um, yeah, just past experience and, and work that they've already done, I guess. Gotcha. So hmm, that's, it's just so, I mean, so now not only have you bought and are managing a short-term rental in Brazil, you are developing, which is an entirely different beast mm-hmm. in Colombia. So what made you decide to go that route instead of just buying existing properties? Yeah, good, good question. Um, and it's, you know, it's, this is my first time doing a development. We signed that contract last November, a friend of mine who's also already done some developments here. So that definitely helps. <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of experience and he's lived down here for about 10 years. Um, but really the opportunity. Um, so before this, you know, we were looking at lots. It's so again, it's, it's in a valley that's pretty well built out, especially the nice part of the city um, where people want to live. There's not a lot of land left. So people are buying small lots and they're building tall 20, 30 story buildings if they can. Um, and they're just making a, a whole bunch of money off that. Um, the other thing that makes this a good investment here, I, I guess, is be supply and demand, just like just like in the US. So they're actually not very friendly for with short-term rentals here. Most of the buildings here have regulations and you can't Airbnb them because they're, you know, they're condo buildings where you have a lot of people who have lived there for a while. And so building from scratch, um, you don't have that issue. So if you, a certain percentage of your building or property uh, has short-term rentals, then you can do short-term rentals in all of them. And if you're building from scratch, then as long as you have the license, so you do have to get a license with the city, but then we have that opportunity to add short-term rentals in a market that needs much more, but can't because the other, because most of the city's pretty, pretty restricted. So what size are these units going to be? Like, I just have so many questions about (laughs) you do this. (laughs) Yeah. So how big are Um, they going to be? Are they going to be like condo units or little single families or... Is that what you're doing? Yeah, little, little small units. So um, we have about a two acre lot. It's really cool lot. Gosh, amazing view. Um, uh, It's it's funny how things just kind of, you know, I've I've wanted to get a lot like forever. I actually bought this Jeep like years ago and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go explore around the city all, you know, looking for a lot because it's actually really expensive in the city now for, for some land. But my, my buddy brought it to me. Uh, he's seen my properties in the U S and so it's just, it's worked out until now, but we're still going through planning. So hopefully everything works out, but these are going to be, um, 15 individual short-term rentals, probably ranging from six to 750 square feet. So they're going to be small. And, um, we're going to have like a community uh, area with a pool and a small restaurant and stuff. So they're all individual separate units, a separate private lot. All right. I stayed in a place like that in Tulum a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It was it was more condos, but they had a little rooftop pool and it was all like purpose built just to be short term yeah. rentals. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're building them as short term rentals. And I know that a lot of people will stay in them, you know, for a short term reservation, one, two, three nights. But I know that a lot of people want to stay in them for months too. Um, and so I'm hoping to sort of have a mix, um, some medium term reservations and also short. Well, that's really exciting. We'll have to have you back on once you get those done and, and see how yeah. it's going. In seven years when, when it's all the, no, it just <laughs> takes forever. It seems like it's taken forever, but slowly, slowly, but surely. Well, awesome. That's, that's really cool. So you're doing a lot of very cool stuff. 
Um, I love it. That's, you know, in the spirit of not only real estate investing, but short-term rental investing to give you the ability and time to do what you want to do and live where you want to live, not be stuck in an office in a city that you don't want to be in. So that's, mm. that's really cool. You're, you're living the dream. It's been good. It's been good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So we are to the last three questions of the show that we ask everyone. Everyone gets the same three questions. First question what advice would you give 20-year-old Tim? Um, 20-year-old Tim. I, I would say that I would look for a mentor sooner or later or someone that could just cut the time frames down for you in your investment career because there's so much information out there. I, I got really fortunate. I just mentioned briefly, I worked as a commercial broker in Northern California. We did all sorts of uh, commercial investment transactions. So apartment buildings and shopping centers and land deals. And I didn't know anything about any of that before I got in there. I just sort of lucked out and snuck my way through the door. But um, the the guy that ran the show, my, my boss knew like everything. And I learned so much. I learned uh, you know, I still use what I learned years and years ago from that. Um, and so I would look, you know, if you're just getting started, I, I would work for someone for free or see if you could help someone in the industry that's had a lot of uh, success uh, just to learn from them and cut some time frames down. All right. Great advice. And second question, very similar to the first, but uh, what advice would you give somebody who is getting started now in 2023, kind of a weird time for real estate investing? Uh, what advice would you give them who's just brand new getting started? Yeah. Um, well, I, I would I would read all the, the fundamental books first, like Ken McRoy's, uh, you know, ABCs of uh, he's got great books or watch Ken McElroy's YouTube channel or just some of the, some of the investors have been around for a long time and they've gone through cycles before um, real estate's cyclical in a lot of places. So I would get that um, just foundation uh, and then remember that real estate's not like a guessing game. It's not, it's not like we just find a property and decide to do it. We have to run all the numbers and that's all pretty readily available. So figure out how to run the numbers for your investment and make sure that before you get into it, it, it makes sense. And so for me, that would be that it, that it cash flows. Um, although I would say short-term rentals are slightly different is because they have a big personal component. And a lot of people are buying short-term rentals because they want to live in it part-time. So maybe that's first thing. Sorry to jump around, but that's figure out what you want first. Also great advice. And last question. What is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? I'm sure a lot of people have, have mentioned the, you know, some of the rich dad, poor dad, and all those. I, I would go with slight, the slight edge by Jeff Olson, hmm. um, which is just about doing little things every day that turn out to be really big results. You know, um, that's how we make progress is one step at a time. And so that book does a really good job explaining that and just, um, uh, yeah, fantastic book, The Slight awesome. Edge. Great one. I don't think anyone's recommended that yet. I love when when we get a new one. Um, <laughs> so great recommendation. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if our listeners want to follow you, learn more about you, where can they do that? 
Yeah. So I do have a podcast started at cash. I think we're coming up on episode 200, almost the short-term rental riches podcast. So they can, anyone can find us there. We're on all the, uh, the outlets. Uh, we also have a website, restmethods.com. Uh, and someone can contact us right through there as well. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. I definitely want to have you back on once you get those built. Let's see how that whole process goes. I want to hear all about it. And uh, thanks so much. We'll catch you later. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Avery.